You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along on the last day of August to the programme, you can email the programme Cork Today at c103.ie. lot of newspaper coverage uh, today to do with the Electoral Commission that we spoke about yesterday and their proposal on what the new constituencies are going to look like for the next general election and uh, certainly lots of people now have had time to look through this report and of course for, for politicians it was a very nervous time in advance of the publication of the report. Some people are very happy, others are not happy and certainly I know from when we started talking about it yesterday the number of calls and texts that we get in from people who are not happy about additional numbers of TDs and that's what it's going to be for the next election but as we of course as we said yesterday it's all down it's in our constitution and our constitution stipulates that there must be one TD for every 20 to 30,000 uh, people and the only way to change that would we would need to have to have a referendum if we wanted to limit the number of uh, TDs but I suppose our referendum refer- referendum and our constitution should I say when the you know the people sat down to write our constitution it was a very different uh, Ireland certainly from a population point of view and when they set those limits of one for every 20 to 30,000 people they could never have predicted that you know in over 100 years we will be over 5 million people so you know there is that talk about uh, do we need to change what's in the constitution but for now that's what's in the constitution that's what we have so the commission was was put in place and they are an independent uh, body and they were established uh, and set to work in looking at all of the different constituencies and we didn't have enough TDs as per the Constitution. So they came up with this report that came out uh, yesterday. And we all we do know is that the next general election, uh, it ha- will have to be held by March of 2025. Some speculate that we could have a general election next year. Others are saying no, that this government will hang in there and they'll wait and they'll call the election early in the new year of 2025. But we do know it must be held in law by March of 2025. And when that election is called, that's when we're going to see a larger number of TDs enter the doll. After yesterday's report, 14 new uh, TDs. There's also been uh, new uh, boundaries set and of course as always the new boundaries, they'll squeeze some of the smaller parties in some of the constituencies. That's why I say reading the report yesterday there are winners and losers. Political parties last night, they were all obviously poring over digesting the results, particularly of the different boundary uh, revisions that were published. But sources across the spectrum agree that the bigger parties especially a party like Sinn Féin who's riding really high on the opinion polls they are were ones likeliest to have been happiest by the changes that were announced yesterday. Population increases means that the next doll now will have 174 members. It currently has 116 so an extra 14. We're also going to have extra constituencies. We're now going to be break, we're now breaking the country up into 43 constituencies. That's four more than what we currently have. Uh, have. There are also four additional three-seater constituencies. There's two fewer four-seat constituencies and then there's two more five-seat constituencies. And of course, that's important, particularly the smaller ones, the three-seat constituencies. They have a tendency 
to make it much harder for the smaller parties to win a seat. So there will be losers there, uh, particularly with the increase in extra four of the three-seater constituencies. And the smaller parties, you're thinking, you know, along the lines of the Labour Party, uh, the Green Party, the Social Democrats, um, all of the independents, they'll all face battles in many constituencies to hold on to their seats, uh, particularly in the face of the increased popularity that Sinn Féin currently have. And I think all of the papers and all of the commentators that I heard and that I read about since this uh, report came out yesterday. Everyone seems to be talking about uh, Sean Sherlock and he is one of the TDs who really is most impacted by yesterday's constituency uh, changes. He's uh, currently, of course, Labour TD in uh, Cork East. But Sean's key voter base is in the town of Mallow. But as we announced yesterday, the town of Mallow, both urban and rural, has now been moved or will be moved for the next election, general election, into the larger Cork North Central constituency, which, you know, a lot of Mallow people were saying yesterday, we don't identify with the city. Why would we be moving into a city constituency? But that's uh, the way it's going to go. But that then leaves Sean Sherlock with a very difficult decision on whether does he stay in Cork East or does he migrate with the people of Mallow to this Cork North Central uh, constituency and attempt to take the the seat there. Now, in indicative of the difficulty he faces, he's reported as saying, uh, Sean said yesterday, I'm still assessing what he describes as a seismic shift in the political landscape. He said it's simply too early to make any detailed comment. He said, I'm going to need to have to have more time to analyse uh, this. But he's seen as one of the ones who really will have the biggest, biggest uh, choices uh, to make. Um, and of course, if he moves into the city constituency, that is a five uh, seat, uh, const- or that becomes a five seat constituency. So he's really got to uh, weigh it up. And a couple of comments that came in late to the programme uh, yesterday that we didn't get a chance to get to because there were so many gardening questions in for Peter and this was to do with uh, Vera Pau. Uh, we got some commentary in from listeners yesterday who were somewhere disappointed about the fact that the, the, the Irish Football Association had decided not to renew Vera Pau's contract as uh, manager the association confirmed they're going in a new direction after a board meeting where a full report on the team's World Cup qualification and campaign and the tournament itself uh, was uh, discussed but they're moving away from Vera Pau and we know that Vera Pau herself was disappointed with the news because she had wanted the contract to be renewed by the way they have appointed an interim head coach and the interim head coach is um, Eileen Gleeson but Jim says Patricia I was saddened to hear and see Vera Pau not get a contract extension. But as they say, she seems to have lost the dressing room. And when no player came out backing her, it was looking bad for her. And she seemed to have the same relationship with Katie McCabe as Mick McCarthy had with one Roy Keane. And there was only one winner. And it seemed like Katie was unhappy in the press conference before the World Cup when the journalist, or was it Vera, brought up about the allegations about Vera from her time as manager in Houston Dash in the States and then when Katie asked Vera to make changes in the last game against Nigeria and Vera went on to say in the press conference uh, spoke about that after saying 
Katie asked for Sinead Farrelly to be taken off and Vera said Sinead was their best player. So the writing was on the wall then, yeah, and Vera at the time said that she's the coach, uh, not Katie McCabe. Anyway, uh, also uh, Jim says, I think the writing was definitely on the wall when Katie put up an emoji on Twitter. The emoji was zip it. But there's a lot of pressure now on Katie and her team members to perform for the new manager. But Jim, disappointed to see Vera Powell go. And then there was another email in, no name on this, saying on Vera, not getting a new contract that's not the players fault before the World Cup the FAI was going was giving Vera a new contract but then all the stories came out from the states about Vera and other coaches and although it may not be true the FAI decided not to offer the contract then um, but that's not the player's problem. Yes, they were asked about the World Cup and Vera and they answered honestly which is their right but when the news broke yesterday everybody started to hammer the likes of Katie McCabe and the other young girls on the team which really is a disgrace and it is really really unfair. The FAI didn't back Vera so people need to stop blaming the young girls and instead we all need to support them and of course only time will tell if getting rid of Vera was the right decision uh, or not. With the ongoing cost of living crisis it won't come as good news for people with private health insurance to hear that yesterday the VHI announced its policies will increase by on average 7% and that comes in from the 1st of October to offer words of advice Dermot Good of TotalHealthCover.ie joins me. Good morning to you Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. I suppose, firstly, it's important to point out uh, in this uh, message from VHI that the 7% is just the average increase, isn't it? It, it is. And, and this is where the, there's, there's two fundamental mistakes that consumers are making now, understandably. But, but the first one, Patricia, is they're, <clears throat> they're relying on the average figure and you cannot do that. So we haven't yet seen the actual breakdown from VHI. But if I take the previous announcement from Leia two weeks ago, they said their second increase was an average of 3%. But some of the plans we've looked at will be going up by nearly 6%. And even earlier in the year, when some, when the average by all three insurers was 45 to 5%, some plans went up 75 and some of the layer plans went up 10%. Um, you know, so people need to be very, very careful. Forget about the average figure that's quoted. You need to look at the specific increase relative to your plan. That's what you need to do. And then embrace yourself for a shock right so that's the first i suppose mistake the second mistake uh, patricia is people are forgetting about the increases that were already announced by irish life in january and vhi and lay in march and april so they're only focusing on the latest announcement but you have to put both together and the cumulative effect for a lot of people depending on the plan that you're on but for those renewing in October, November, December, the cumulative effect will be as high as 11 to maybe 16, wow. 17 percent. It's huge. It's it's I mean, it's unprecedented. We haven't seen these types of increases, Patricia, I would say, for maybe 10 years. And it could for a family of two adults and two children, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, it could add anything from 180 to um, 560 euro to your bill if you do nothing. And obviously we won't be recommending that. But yeah, these are. These are significant price increases that will impact every consumer of private health insurance. And unfortunately. Am, I, am I right in saying they're across the board? Have, has, has, has all of the providers now at some stage throughout the year mentioned increases? Yes, <clears throat> they all have. So all three went up in quarter one by that average figure of 5%. Irish Live went again on the 1st of July and then... Um, 
Now, they went by about 5% again. Leia just announced their average of 3%. And I suppose, quite surprisingly, the VHI second increase is much higher um, than their first one. It's it's an average of 7%, and it's higher than, than, than the other two. So, obviously, the issue of spiraling claims is having a higher impact on VHI than the others, but it's but it's it's having an impact across all three. So, there's no... There's no getting away from this. The only thing, Patricia, I would, I would suppose, in terms of giving some comfort to your listeners on this. So about 75 percent of all health insurance members don't shop around properly. Is it as already, high as that? Yeah. Do you know, like the analysis that we sh- that we see or whatever, like about 25 percent of people really actively switch. You know, now others might engage, but they don't, let's just say they don't do it properly, Patricia, to eke out the best deals. OK, so. I would say, for example, anybody who's on the same plan for five years or more, if you're paying more than 1,850 euro for your cover per adult, if you're not on an up-to-date corporate plan, if you don't have a small excess per claim on your policy, and if you're not getting 50 to 75% back on your, your outpatient expenses, you're already potentially overpaying and on the wrong plan. Forget about the price increases. Now, with those, like if you shop around properly, and I can explain how we do that now in a moment, but if you shop around properly, you might never mind being able to avoid these price hikes. Patricia, you might be able to get far better overall cover. And what what I think will happen is that these price increases will prompt a lot of people now. They will have no choice to go to the market and to shop around. And that's, look, we have 330 plans and there are still brilliant deals buried in the detail. I mean, even though Irish Life's plans are going up by maybe up to 15%, they have a range of health guide schemes that didn't go up in July and only increased by about 3.5% earlier in the year. Leia have a plan called Inspire Plus, which is not going up in October. And those people, it's a brilliant semi-private corporate plan. Those people will only have a 4.5% increase. And by the way, Patricia, for anybody with two or more young children under 18, Leia have an offer from the 1st of September where you pay for the first child, but the rest of the kids are free. So the people who shop around and who decide what their budget is, that's the key thing now. What is your budget before you phone that insurance company? And then when you phone them, you tell them what your budget is for you well, or your family. I've, I've never, then, he- I've never hear you, heard you um, say that before. So you declare your hmm. hand at the start of the phone call and say, I have for my family of two adults and one child, I have 4,000 and I don't want to spend any more or something like that. Is that what you're saying we should say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, because he- here's the beauty about this, Patricia, right? If there is a positive in all of this, unlike car insurance and other insurances where the the insurance company can, you know, if you don't haggle, they can charge you more than maybe another customer for the same cover. Okay, um, with health insurance, that cannot happen. Happen every plan, the price is set. So, for example, if my current premium for my family is three thousand euro, and I just get a bill for three thousand six hundred, I should phone up my existing insurance company and I should tell them, right, my budget is three thousand, not a penny more, and. Here's the plan that I have. They'll have it on their system. Now, I want you to basically look across all your plans and I want you to recommend the closest equivalent plan to what I currently have that fits that budget and sit back and let them do, do all the, the work. work, let them do the heavy lifting. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they will want to try and keep your business. That's the thing. They don't want to be losing customers, you know, and for people who haven't shopped around properly, sometimes when people hear me talking about switching, like 50% of all people that we we talk with or we speak with they switch to a different plan with the same insurer, okay? Now, here's the thing, Patricia. If, I, if I'm if i not happy with what they offer me, 
I can simply repeat that process with the other two insurance companies. But if you're thinking of joining or if your renewal is coming up, decide what your budget is and tell them that budget. So that cuts out all the nonsense and, and recommending higher price plans. It forces them to do that exactly. Find a plan that, that is as close as possible to your current plan, but that is within budget. And there's new plans coming out in October that haven't even hit the market yet. So for people who haven't shopped around you know, frequently or haven't done it for many years, I guarantee you they will get a much better deal, but they need to engage with the insurance company. I advise people, Patricia, not to try and do this online. It's torture. Um, you need to get on the phone to them and get them to do the heavy and lifting. And let them do the work. Them yeah, yeah. Here's, here's a typical question that always comes in, I think, when we talk with you, uh, Dermot. Uh, listen, says, hi, Patricia. I had a very bad car accident uh, last year. I have to go back for another operation in October. I have a family VHI plan. Does this prevent me from shopping around because I'm in the middle of treatment? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, first of all, once you've served all your waiting periods and once you switch to an equivalent plan with somebody else, uh, then there is no issue whatsoever. There will be no break in your cover. They cannot turn around and go, we're not going to cover you because it's an existing condition. However, I would encourage that person to get onto VHI when the renewal notice lands, get onto VHI and literally follow the process that we just outlined there. And you see the beauty about doing it this way, Patricia, is VHI, when that person phones them, VHI will be able to see their claims on the system. So they know what hospital they went into. They know what consultant they're attending. They know basically what procedures they had done. So when that person asks VHI to recommend an alternative plan that's similar to what they have, then all they have to say is, listen, will that new plan cover the same hospital, same consultant, same procedure to the same degree as my current plan? And VHI will have to confirm yes or no. And here's the other thing they can do now, Patricia, right? Let's just say that person needs to keep the exact same cover in place for whatever reason. Well, they can do that, but they can move the rest of the family to a lower cost or to a different plan with VHI. In other words, I can have everybody on the one policy with VHI, and but have each of them on different plans to suit their needs. That's what we call splitting cover. You can do that with all three insurers. So I, and I think a lot of people make a mistake with that. I think they, they put everybody onto the one plan. Well, they do. And also, Patricia, it's not even, I don't blame consumers for this because when you get on the phone to the insurer, the person you're dealing with, look, the, you know, they're going to be very busy now the next four to five months, um, more so than ever because of these increases. It's easier for the agent on the phone to basically, once they find a plan for Dermot Good, it's easier for them to say, right, Dermot, we'll put all your family on that plan. And then they just move on to the next customer. Whereas what you should be saying is, okay, that's Dermot Good sorted. Now, you know, my wife, my kids, my partner, whatever, here's their requirements. And I want, now want to look at the most suitable plan for them. So you really should be looking at the, the individual requirements of every person on your policy. So, for example, the lay free cover offer that I mentioned that comes from tomorrow, you know, the adults might go on one plan with Leia. The eldest child might go on a plan like Inspire Plus. But then you put the rest of the children under 18 on the Essential Connect Health Scheme because, Patricia, that plan will be free from tomorrow. And that could save a family with three children 600 euro. So really, the only way you're going to dig out those deals, there's only there's only two ways you're going to get those deals. Number one, phone up the insurance companies, be prepared, know your budget and engage and keep them on the phone until you get what you want. Or number two, there's loads of advisors around the country who will do the heavy lifting for you. But the biggest mistake that people will make, particularly older members, and I, I, I fully understand this because they're they're afraid of making changes. They're worried if they make a mistake. They, they maybe have serious ongoing conditions and they need good cover. 
you know, they're the people who will auto renew. And that means, Patricia, they will roll over their cover. They will, you know, pay maybe an extra 400 euro per adult if they're on the really old plans. That's just, that's not the right tactic. And I would hope that they have maybe friends or family or sons or daughters or somebody. Someone step who in. Basically, Someone who step in to have. Hold their hands be on the phone with them and who will basically make sure they get the best deal and they'll, they'll look after them. Okay. And really, I'd encourage all family to do that. And I know you've answered this, but I can still see there's four or five uh, texts coming in with the same question. With regard to changing insurance policies, if you change, is it correct that your pre-existing condition cover won't be covered for two years? That's, that's incorrect, isn't it? It is, yes, yeah, completely incorrect. I'll tell you what people are, are getting confused about here. Once again, understandably. So just think of it like this, Patricia. If I'm on a plan right now with VHI, for example, once I'm on that plan more than five years, I've already saved, served my pre-existing exclusion. So imagine if Dermot Good is due to get a hip replacement tomorrow on the 1st of September, okay? I can switch to Layer or Irish Life Health. And if I switch to a plan that also covers, we'll say, the bonds in Cork, and it covers my hip replacement fully, they must pay my claim because my previous plan covered it and I have more than five years continuous cover under my belt, even though I'm only joining tomorrow and I probably haven't even paid them a premium yet. They will pay the claim. So that's the first thing. The two-year upgrade rule only applies if when I switch, I upgrade my cover to a higher plan. Okay, so for example, Patricia, if I'm currently covered for semi-private in the bonds and I decide to switch tomorrow to a private room, in the bond secure, but I have an existing condition. Well, all the insurance companies, VHI, Leia and Irish Life, what they'll say to me is, look, Dermot, we're going to pay your claim. So there's no issue with that. But because that's an existing condition, we're only going to pay you up to semi-private. In other words, what you had mm. on the previous and that's plan. Understandable. So for the next two years. Absolutely, that's very fair. Yeah, so for the next two yeah. years, I just won't get the private room. So don't be put off by that. OK, and Jack wants to know, uh, when would Dermot suggest starting the renewal process? Uh, Jack's uh, family renewal is up on the 1st of January. When should he start interacting okay. with the company? This is a really good question because the biggest, the two biggest renewal dates in the year, unfortunately for thousands of members, are the 31st of December and the 1st of January. Couldn't come at a worse time for people, people traveling and whatever. So what I would suggest is every member is going to get the renewal notice minimum four to five weeks, maybe even six weeks before the renewal. As soon as that notice lands, I would suggest that Jack, the, the, maybe the 21st, 22nd of November, or in around that time frame, that's when you start the process. As soon as it lands, get on the phone. Yeah, because I think with the lead up to Christmas, with everything else that's going on, it gets put on the back burner. It does. Well, also, Patricia, what happens is the phones literally go into meltdown when each of the insurers come December. You can't get through. You could be holding for an hour trying yeah, to get yeah, through. Yeah. It happens every year. So the sooner, no point phoning now because the renewal won't even be up on the system. So once again, four to five weeks in advance, start, you know, start the process start straight away. Get it all done okay. by the first week of December. Okay, and very finally, uh, Connery Nina Shannon, does Dermot feel with AXA coming into the insurance market, it may change things? Could it lead to better premiums for consumers? Y- once again, an, another very good question. It's it's too early to tell, Patricia. I I don't think so. And the reason being is that... Uh, now, it'll be interesting to see what other offers they might bring in as, as a new entrant taking over Leia. But unfortunately, the claims costs that are coming in and the claims, the volumes of claims, uh, you know, all the insurance companies have to allow or provide for a minimum solvency rate of 40%. So they have to basically provide in advance to cover these expected claims. So... It's too early to tell. It could take six months for that deal to go through. So the busiest renewal period, which is just around the corner, 
I think we could be we could be well through that before the AXA acquisition even begins to take effect. Look, fingers crossed, it might mean something, but right now these price increases are going to happen and there could even be more in quarter one next year, Patricia, depending on what might happen with public hospital charges and um, health insurance levy. So I hope not, but they, it can't be ruled out. Okay. But we just have to wait and see what All acts right. to do when they take over. You're a mind of information as always, Dermot. Thank you for that and thanks My for pleasure. joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dermot Good of Total Health Cover. Now, a child's first day at school holds a very special place in every parent's heart. But for one little, for one Mallow-based family this week, it brought an extra day of joy after little five-year-old Zach, who underwent life-saving organ donation, went to school for the first time. His dad, Michael, who is uh, originally from Strasbourg, donated a kidney to his son last year and he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, thank you for taking time out to take uh, our call. And I suppose what a difference a year can make, uh, Michael. Were you very emotional um, watching little Zach head into school for the first time this week? It, it was very exciting to see him, um, you know, being able to enjoy this, uh, this precious moment in life. Um, I, I mostly felt, you know, pride, I guess, um, because he's he's come such a long way um, from birth and everything that happened to him, um, but he's been super brave through the whole journey. Um, but yesterday, yeah, it's um, it's a special moment. Yeah, fantastic. I suppose we need to go back and talk a little bit about Zach's uh, story. Mm-hmm. How soon after his birth, Michael, um, did you and uh, you and Jack, Zach's mum, Jessica, did you realise that there was some kind of medical issue, something going wrong with Zach? So that, there was a slight hint during pregnancy because um, there are some ultrasounds being performed um, and we were meant to have a follow-up appointment um, shortly after birth. Um, and we we were told one night um, that the, the appointment had to be brought forward. They wouldn't tell, tell us why because I guess they had to tell us face-to-face. Um, and it was going to be scheduled on the next day, which originally was like two weeks ahead. And that was just shortly after birth, like I'm talking maybe two, three weeks after birth. Um, and coincidentally, within the, just before the, the appointment, so between the call and the scheduled, rescheduled appointment, um, Zach stopped feeding altogether. He was feeling very sick. Um, so we took him to CUH, uh, to A&E, and he had some blood done. They realized that his balance, you know, um, how he was doing very poorly, basically. They had to stabilize him very, very urgently. Obviously, as a parent, you start to feel very anxious because you don't know, you don't know anything that's happening. You're, you, could, you imagine the worst case scenario, scenario and then... You know, you try to reassure yourself with the fact that it could be just a small disease and, you know, the next morning you'll be home and everything will be fine. And I guess it's the it's the unknown and the emotional roller coaster, um, which is very tough to handle. And it's um, a very tiny little baby as well. He, yeah, Michael, he was. You know? well, he, 
He was a bit of a beast for a baby. He was 4.4 kg when he was oh, born. Okay. But, uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he was still a tiny yeah, when, when still we took a, him to Still, yeah, a few weeks old. So yeah. things then happened very quickly. I know he ended up uh, going to uh, Temple Street Hospital <laughs> where, where the, the specialists are when it comes uh, to children. And then you were very quickly, uh, was it Michael told that it, uh, he was, it was acute renal failure was what he was Correct. suffering from. Yeah. Wow. And this is... Um, you know, when they give you this, um, the confirmation of, of his medical issues, and they tell you that he will end up one day on either dialysis or with a, uh, a kidney transplant, this is when things start, to, you start to realize how serious everything is. Um, obviously, you still wonder what's life going to be, you know, when he's on yeah. dialysis and yeah. uh, how are you going to cope? Um, and I think it's it's the fear of the unknown at first that you have to deal with very slowly when you get into it and when you realize that these are the cards you've been dealt and you have to just play with them and, yeah, and you have, you have to try get, to make the best out of the situation. You have to then. get on. You have to get on. And he did, Zach did end up on and on dialysis. How long was that for? And I believe it was home dialysis. Yeah, correct. So it was around 15 months. And um, usually when we talk about dialysis, people think about the um, hemodialysis, which is basically cleaning of the bloodstream. This one was going in the, in the tummy cavity. Um, so it's, uh, it's a different one. It cleans the systems a bit differently. And it's every night it's connected to a big machine. It, it beeps every time it's like turning around and the, the tube is kinked and it's not flowing properly. So at 3 a.m., you know, you could be getting up trying to fix this and uh, and then it doesn't work and you have to w- ring the ward. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's an adventure when you're yeah, very sleepy. That is, and it's difficult for a little boy to expect a little boy to have to do that. That's why it was lovely to hear you say how brave he was mm-hmm. uh, to go through all of that. So when then was the notion and, and, and the idea of a living donor mentioned, Michael? Um. Very early on, um, because they they told us this was the best case scenario for for Zach. Um, this would be the type of uh, donation that would last the longest, basically, and that would give him a, the best chance of you know living a a good childhood and beyond. Um, because it's one of the things you learn as well is that the kidney donation is not a permanent uh, cure. Um, it's very likely that he will need at least another one in his lifetime. Um, he will be on medication for the rest of his life. That's something we accepted as well very early on. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, so you, you got tested, you were the best match. Decision was made and off you, and off you both went. It's, it's coming up to a year ago, isn't it? The, Correct. So yeah. I'm going to try to do a little celebration for him. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the 3rd of October. 3rd of October. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm, and what, I'm was, really what, what was recovery like for both of you afterward? Uh, it was... So it, it was very tough, I guess, for the two of us, especially in the first few days. Um, but this is, this is expected, you know, the doctor's told us that for the, the two of us it's going to be it's going to be rough it's going to be uncomfortable uh, to say the <laughs> least but you get over it like it's incredible how quickly the body adapts to everything yeah. um and and you can live yeah. away very healthily on one kidney as so many people uh, do oh, 
I, I do not notice any difference now whatsoever. It's incredible. Um, so I signed up for a gym back in May um, <laughs> for the first time in my life. So, yeah. you know, I'm trying to look after myself. Oh, okay. no, so you're, uh, get, you're getting fit as well. Good on you. Good on <laughs> you. It, no, it, it, again, you don't really see the difference. Zach is, I can see the difference because his energy level are even better than what they used to be. Um, he's growing up massively. I'm, I'm, I'm quite tall. I'm uh, one uh, ninety centimeters, and he was very small before transplant for his age. And since then, he's gone way above now the average height. So he's flying. You know, isn't that amazing? Isn't that? It and is of course, you've you another a little girl. Uh, uh, she'd be the big sister, Ellie. So, and right. of course, you you forget when when a child gets sick in a household, and particularly when you got to spend so much time in in Dublin. Uh, there's another li- little one as well who's who's missing mummy and daddy because one is at the mm-hmm. hospital. It's 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 tough on on Ellie as well. So uh, it was lovely to see Ellie walking Zach into school yesterday and uh, and feeling very proud of him. It, it really was terrific. But I suppose more than anything, Michael. Your family story shows the importance of organ donation, doesn't it? That's what it's all about. It does. The um, again, the difference between um, dialysis and being, you know, having a kidney donated. The in terms of health, energy level, the freedom it gives you. Because obviously, every like if, when we were planning to go on holiday, when he was on dialysis, we've done it once. We understood how difficult and complicated it was you know because there's so, there's so much in terms of logistics and then you have to travel with a big suitcase heavy with a machine inside on top of everything that you would normally travel with you have to organize all the delivery of the supplies where you're going it's a lot of work so we've done it once it was draining and then we said maybe after transplant um but then again after transplant there's a good year where you're kind of limited as well so anyway Life gets back to normal though now, which yeah. is which is amazing. And we Absolutely. encourage everyone have that conversation about organ donation with family and friends. And don't forget organ donor cards available from the Irish Kidney Association, IKA.ie, or you can free text donor uh, to 500-50. Listen, Michael, it was a pleasure uh, speaking to you. Continued uh, good luck to Zach on his journey in school and we hope he loves school. But we thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Good morning, Jim. Bye bye. Okay, some of your thoughts and comments coming into us on various topics we've been discussing. Jim says it was great to hear Zach's father, dad, uh, talk about being giving a living living donor, giving one of his kidneys to his little son. Jim didn't realise that an adult kidney would suit a child. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Uh, Jim knew of somebody who died, and organs were donated, so at least people benefit from his death. It is so important to become an organ donor. It is, Jim. And what's more important is you need to tell your family members because uh, even though you can be an organ donor, they still have to get the uh, the consent of your family members if you know something tragically happens. But it is so, so important. And I have a really good friend of mine who had a, a liver transplant a number of years ago and the difference it has made to her life is just incredible. I'm a huge, huge advocate of organ donation. Michael, on the boundary changes and the electoral commission that we've been speaking about and it's all the reason for these extra TDs and everyone isn't happy to hear. There's another 14 or will be another 14 TD.
DDs following the next general election and people are citing the cost involved in this and uh, people are just really not happy with it at all um, but it's there it's stated in the constitution so there's nothing else we can do we have to abide by the constitution and Michael says yes you are right in saying our constitution parts of it uh, are outdated in particularly in relation to TDs and Dáil Éireann likewise our justice system our planning system and much much more is simply outdated Michael said that the late Des O'Malley wanted to rewrite the constitution at one stage but he simply wasn't entertained I wonder if is that something that we need to look at? Anyway, uh, Michael says, when it was written, it was a very, very different Ireland. Today, we have laws in our justice system that actually date back to penal at times. And Michael cites one that I wasn't aware of. He says, you know, and it's still on the statute books, that it's illegal for a priest to walk down the street without his soutan. He can be arrested. <laughs> the laws go back to uh, penal times absolutely a way out in space like much more yeah well uh, I know they're always trying to do their bit within the Justice Department to clean up some of the acts that are just dated as you say from penal times but I wasn't aware about that uh, but of course some of these laws are on the statute books and nothing happens with them but do we need to tidy them all up and uh, sort out our, our various laws and, and regulations and does it go as far back as the constitution do we need to look again at our constitution that was written for a very different Ireland and a very different landscape of a country. Thank you for your message. Uh, Michael, another listener on private health insurance with Dermot Good. Not bringing us great news, I have to say. If you have private health insurance, you can expect uh, a raise in your premium. Well, for sure, your premium is going to come in. It's going to be higher. It's up to you then whether you want to pay that and whether you're going to start shopping around. This listener says, how much is private health insurance worth in this country? What or who was deciding to put up the prices? Are the Irish people being fleeced financially, uh, health-wise? Well, there's all of the various companies. We have a number of companies who run health insurance uh, in this in this country. VHI, there's uh, Leia, there's um, and they're all they've all announced some kind of increases uh, throughout the year. Now, with the latest was VHI, and they announced it uh, this week, the seven percent. Now they say, and this could be reflected across all of the various health insurance uh, providers. The VHI say that the price increase is necessary to ensure that they continue to meet members' health care needs. They say as well as sustained rise in the volume of claims, there's also been significant increase in the costs associated with the delivery of health care and that's due to upward pressure of wages of energy and other uh, costs. So they're saying, you know, look, we have no choice. Uh, we have to uh, we have to do it. And it's the same for uh, Irish healthcare. They had two rises uh, during the year. And Leia also announced two premium uh, hikes uh, across the year uh, as well. So they're, they're all faced with the same uh, costs. How much they're making, I don't have their profits uh, in front of me. But we do know that there has been an increase in the volume of claims. Uh, a lot of that is down to what happened during COVID when nobody was going into hospital. And of course, the insurance companies and um, Leia, I don't know if all of the health insurance companies, I'm with Leia, that's how I know about it. They gave back, I think it was, it was 50 euro or something we got back by way of a kind of a rebate when there wasn't as many claims uh, going in. But it's catch up now. People are going back into hospital. People are getting treatment that was put off because of uh, COVID. So obviously we're we're seeing a huge increase in the volume of uh, claims. And, you know, all of these health insurance companies, they're there 
they're in the business to make a profit as well. So I don't know if anyone has been fleeced financially, but it's it's to try to shop around as best you can and see if you can get it cheaper anywhere else. And just staying on health for a moment, we've had a call in about Southstock in McCroom. We've dealt with numerous people talking about Southstock in different parts of the county. Don't know if we've had calls in from McCroom before, but Mary was on. She needed to to contact South Dock because she's caring for an elderly relative who out of hours got sick. So they needed to contact South Dock. And Mary couldn't believe when she was getting on to South Dock in McCroom. She actually ended up getting through to South Dock in Bandon. It was over the weekend. Now, the elderly person was not well enough to be able to go to the South Dock service. So the doctor had to come out. But the doctor had to travel from Bandon to uh, McCroom. Uh, Mary is fearful now about the South Dock service uh, in McCroom and wonders are others worried about it as well. And then somebody else was on to talk about, John Post has a few calls on this morning to do with the smell in Clonakilty. Are you in Clonakilty? You're living there? You're visiting there? You're working there? Have you noticed a sewerage type smell? Uh, Some listeners said it was hanging over the town yesterday from Clonakilty Bay. Others were pointing out that while the EPA spoke this week and encouraging people to eat less red meat, wouldn't it be more in line to get their own house in order first, said one listener, and uh, worry about meat eaters afterwards. The EPA needs to find out uh, what is causing the smell in Clonakilty Bay. I don't know if it's still there today, but it was there yesterday. Does any, was anybody in Clon? Did anybody else notice that uh, smell? Uh, and, uh, and we'll try and see if we can find out what is going on with uh, the smell in uh, Clonakilty. We're also on to Bus Aaron because we didn't email him from a uh, listener uh, from Glen in Botterin to say, Hi Patricia, I want to make a complaint uh, about Cork County Council and they're refusing to put up a bus shelter. Is it Cork County Council or is it bus there and put up the bus shelter? Anyway, uh, Glen is, is saying that there's no bus shelter for people who are going to Limerick. They have a bus shelter for people going to Cork on the other side of the road and therefore when it's raining, the people who are going to Limerick have to stand under the Cork bus shelter stop to get out of the rain. Then once they see the bus coming, they have to leg it across the road in order to get on the bus that's going to uh, Limerick. Glen is fearful because that's a very busy road, that main street in Butterwind. Uh, Glen is fearful that somebody will get knocked da- knocked down someday. It is an accident waiting to happen. Uh, yeah, and I'd be more worried about it obviously only happens when it's raining. If it's a fine weather, people will stand and wait for the bus. So if you've got a very wet, drizzly, you know, miserable day or there's a heavy downpour. People trying to run across a road in those kind of conditions even makes it uh, worse. We are emailing Bus Aaron to see if they have any plans to build a bus uh, shelter. So I I don't think it's Cork County Council, Glenn. I think it is the responsibility of Bus Aaron. So we're banging them off an email to see what's going on and are there any plans for people who want to go to Limerick and they get on the bus in Butterland. Could Could they provide a bus shelter please? And we're still getting emails in about this. Now that's a humming sound and then there's this (laughs) 
Imagine trying to go to sleep at night and that's going on outside your door. Well, that's what's happening in Bridge Street in Mallow. We had the original Kango Hammer. I think we got it in on Tuesday morning. That was from Monday night. And that humming one came in from last night. And another listener says, I'm emailing to complain in relation to Cork County Council's construction work going on at Bridge Street in Mallow. I'm a resident in the area and I simply cannot get any sleep. The cutlery and the tables were actually vibrating from the reflux of the work outside last night. It is crazy. No warning given to any of the tenants of the area and the work last night was going on until 2am in the morning. Uh, who can we, the residents, contact to complain? Uh, thanking you. Now, we did get onto the council yesterday and they said that they were doing their best to have the noisy part of the work done earlier in the evening. They did explain that the work is necessary. It has to be done at night so that that road can be open during uh, the day. But I again go back to why are they not talking with the people who are living locally and explaining to them how long are the works going to be going on because it just seems to be endless at this stage so we'll get back onto them again and see if we can get any kind of an answer uh, for the good people of Bridge Street in Mallow 0818 103 103 our lines are open John Paul's taking the calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs a companion slash carer is wanted. Now, it's a live-in position. It's in the Donnerail New Two Pot House area. If you'd like more details, you can call 087-7905-558. A traffic management operative is wanted to work in Cork County. You need to be over 25. You have to have a full clean driver's licence. You can call 86 732 for further details. Shannon Vale Foods, they're in Clonakilty. They're looking for a quality control officer with a food science qualification. CVs to hr at shannonvalefoods.ie. And Arreglin House Nursing Home, they've got a vacancy for a head chef. CVs please to chris at arreglinhouse.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The legacy of COVID-19 is sadly still felt by many Irish organisations supporting older people and those suffering with depression or mental health problems. To chat about how Senior Line volunteers are available to help older people navigate through this period. I'm joined by Anne Dempsey, who is the Communications Manager with Senior Line. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Did it come as no surprise to you and the others at Senior Line to learn that the World Happiness Report that came out in 2021 revealed a doubling of mental health issues during the pandemic? No surprise at all. And without wanting to uh, colonise all this, Patricia, I mean, we know that so many young people did so badly as well. And still, they are equally suffering from that legacy. But as far as senior line is concerned, we had it on the phone lines morning, noon and night, you know. And, and you know, where I, we're, I, I know people will still say that there's COVID out and about, and, and there is for sure, but like we're over the worst of the pandemic and life is somewhat getting back to normal for the majority uh, of people. Are you hearing from people, Anne, who are simply too afraid to go back and to resume the lives they had before the pandemic? 
I think a lot for a lot of older people, their lives became smaller. People who, for example, who drive and who would drive, you know, living would drive into Cork or drive around. They they had got. A, out of the habit of doing that. And I think when you're older particularly, sadly your lives your life can get smaller much more quickly. You become a little bit more fearful, a little bit more afraid. And then, you know, roads are changed and signs are changed and traffic is busier. So it all compounds in so many ways to make your life smaller and you want to keep it safer. And that's a vicious, vicious circle, I think. Yeah, the world just becomes a little bit too scary for some exactly. people. Exactly. So you just, you know, uh, circle the wagons to make it more safe and secure. And then it, that becomes a bit of a prison. Yeah, because, you know, and I know a lot of our listeners hate it whenever I mention the word cocooning. I mean, they used to go, oh, they were vicious about it. Um, but we were encouraging older people. You need to stay indoors. You know, you need to disengage with people. Don't be meeting up with people. And, you know, it was done with the best of intentions and it was done uh, to keep people safe. But I suppose there's the danger that you just get into that routine of being on your own and, and being away from everybody. Is, is is that what it is? It just becomes the normal almost. I think partly. And you kind of lose your confidence and your conversational skills and all that. But Patricia, we still, we had get calls from people who would love to be out and about. But a lot of their friends have changed. We have, I'm just thinking of a caller. And she said, look, my, a lot of my married friends, they have each other. I don't have anybody. And they, they're now, they've kind of, kind of hived themselves off a bit. And now I've nobody to go for walks with and nobody to go for coffee with. So there's all kinds of different reasons. I think this has affected people so many, a thousand different ways. And we're getting variations of that on the line. Do men and women contact Senior Line for different reasons? They do. Um, we did we did some great work last year, a whole analysis of the calls on so many different areas, who calls us, why they call us, and women and men. We get many more calls from women than from we do from men. And male callers, they're more likely to talk about their health, which kind of surprised me because men aren't really great at mm. talking about their health. And, and isolation and kind of, kind of, how they're affected by a spouse dying or something, which is very understandable. And they're also frequently looking for information about other services. While our women callers, they tend, because they're kind of still very much in the heart of the family if they've adult children and grandchildren, so they're more likely to talk about maybe family problems, about financial issues. Now, abuse, Patricia, we've had a huge increase in calls and coercive control over the last recent years and particularly over the last two years so we were and I think because partly there's more recognition of it of this is what's going on you know you mightn't have lifted a hand to me unfortunately unfortunately it's more male on female control but so a lot of our callers are beginning to recognize what's happening and phoning to talk about it and they they're starting to wake up and realize this is a normal behavior and this shouldn't be happening to me that isn't, of control. that isn't one bit right exactly and then they but to do something about it can be very very difficult of course so we would be into a lot of encouragement giving you know addresses and other organizations that can help them encourage them to phone us back to talk to us that they're not on their own to be kind of to draw up alongside and become a kind of a, a friend in need for these people 
Yeah, I was always kind of worried during the pandemic when, you know, older people were forced to stay indoors and then they were relying on, you know, ideally trusted family members to yeah. do shopping and whatever for them. So some older people were handing over bank cards or getting, yeah. getting you know, the family member to collect the pension. There was always the danger there for financial abuse, wasn't there? There was. And again, nothing is ever kind of black and white. We get the occasional caller who knows that there is a bit of abuse going on, but they need the care still. They need the sun. They need, and um, they almost allow a certain amount of it so that life can continue in some kind of civilised manner. That's not right and it's not good, but you can understand why they do that. I sometimes, you know, I like to see good in everybody. I sometimes think, do, do people not realise that they're inflicting financial abuse on an older person? I you know, imagine... I imagine if somebody is kind of, um, you know, they see it as kind of part of their informal wages for looking after the person. You know, without speaking to the son or daughter concerned, it's difficult to know what they think. And of course, I suppose it's predicated on the relationship they have with their mum or their anyway. And sometimes, as we know, family relationships aren't all they're not all perfect by any manner of means, you know. And habits become ingrained and set in, don't they? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then you, your volunteers on, on Senior Line, are they starting to notice or are they getting more calls, you know, people ringing in about, you know, low mood, depression? Yes. Yeah. One of the things we're doing lately is... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We're looking at, at organizations that have common calls to, with us, Patricia. And in terms of our own volunteer uh, training, we uh, invited somebody from AWARE to come and talk to us recently, uh, the, the, the organisation that supports people with depression. And it has been very, very helpful because because we're getting call, callers who are depressed 
all arising from what we're kind of talking about, general isolation, loneliness, and then loaded now with, with COVID. And you see, an awful lot of people phone to talk to us and they're dying to talk to us and we're there. But with callers who have depression, frequently they're very quiet and silent because they're like as if they're living in a, in a glass room and they're trying to break out themselves. And the first thing is that they call us, which is wonderful, and that we really kind of commend them for that. But then it's to t- see how we can help callers with depression. And learning from AWARE, and we do some of this ourselves anyway, it was very affirming for us to listen to the AWARE's approach. AWARE are very kind of immediate with callers who phone with depression. They talk about it their day. So you got up today. That's wonderful that you got up. And like, what do you think you're doing today? And have you had breakfast yet? All very practical, step by step. And I think that's really, you know, helpful to somebody who doesn't know what what's the next step to take. So I take this step or take that step and phone us back. And we know you've done that. And we were along those lines ourselves to some degree. We've got great support from AWARE and this is really helpful for people with depression. Brilliant. Brilliant. And AWARE, they are an incredible organisation. We we hear from them. Absolutely excellent. We hear from listeners so many times who've interacted either themselves or had a family member interact with AWARE and all and speak with, you know, great praise uh, for the organisation. So well done for for you guys reaching out to get that additional help that your volunteers uh, would need. And And is that your message to anybody listening Anne, who is feeling and is recognising that isolation that we're talking about to to get out there to re-engage and you know and, and you know I feel awful for you know the person who rang to say oh, my friends are all doing their own thing now yeah try and make new friends exactly to re-engage just small steps you know yourself you're at home you decide I'll go for a walk you, you if you go for a walk you change your mood. If you go for a walk and meet somebody and smile and say hello, you change your mood again. If you go down to the shop and talk to the person, you know, behind the counter, well, they might be busy. But little things make big difference. Yeah. And volunteer. I'm a, I'm a great fan of, of encouraging people to volunteer. Charity shops. Uh, there's of loads that. of organisations that you can volunteer uh, yeah, with. Yeah, and Volunteer Ireland on their website, if you wouldn't well, no, Patricia, they have all kinds of um, openings and ads you're needed. We're needed. So let's, uh, and in giving, we receive. We, we get most out of this ourselves, don't we? Of course, of course. And just very finally, when you, when you talk about, you know, uh, what men and women contact you about, you mentioned that a lot more women than men. Would you like to see more men reach out to Senior Line? We'd love to see more men calling us. And it, we do get men, and a lot of men phone and um, we begin giving them what they need in terms of support. But I suppose, as we might have discussed before, Patricia, we're socialised differently, men and women, you know. And it's, that's one reason, I think, why men's shed is so successful. Yeah. That it's men working side by side, whereas women, who we sit face across from each other and, and share the cup of coffee, we just do it differently. So we'd love men to talk us and to know that they'd have the anonymity and the privacy with phone call they could... They, we just don't know who they are and there we are registered and we've male volunteers as well if a man would like to talk to a, a male volunteer Okay and you're busy as ever Anne? We're busy as ever Yeah 
Okay, listen, pleasure as always. We'll speak again in the future, but in the Can meantime. I, I yeah. give you our number. I was, I was, you, okay? I, yeah, <laughs> I was going, I ha- was going to finish off with it, but I'll let you do it. No, Go no, on. you do it. Yeah. You do it better than me. <laughs> oh, <Go on. laughs> okay, senior line, they're open 10am to 10pm, 1-800-80-45-91. That's 1-800-80-45-91. And as we mentioned, aware, uh, let's not forget, they're also available and they have a free phone number as well. They're one 800 80 and, uh, they also open 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. A pleasure as always, Anne. Look after yourself. Thank you so Thank you much, for Patricia. Thanks really for joining us. God bye bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, wonderful. And Dempsey, who is the communications manager with Senior Line, and please reach out to Senior Line. They are just a listening ear at the end of a phone call, and sometimes that's all you need. You just need somebody to listen to you, talk through whatever it is is bothering you, and you know by the end of the phone call, you may have come up with the solution yourself. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, next week, Virgin Media will broadcast the first of a four part series, and it's called Born Too Soon. The programme was filmed over the course of a full year with unprecedented access into the world of Cork's neonatal intensive care unit. And one of the stories that's going to be told is that of Siobhan Forrest, whose two children actually had to be admitted uh, to the neonatal unit after birth. And I'm delighted to say, Siobhan joins me. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, I'm very good, and you're very welcome to the program. I'm really look. I love the concept. I have to say of this this program. I imagine it's going to be a bit of a tearjerker as well. So we're all going to have to have our have our tissues at the ready. Now, the program for you followed your second pregnancy, but I suppose uh, take me back to your first baby, and that was Ruby, who is now four. God bless her. Uh, when did you start to have problems with with Ruby? Um, so with Ruby, everything was going fine up until I think it was week 12. I just actually had to go into hospital on New Year's Eve because I was very, very sick just with um, morning sickness and they wanted to put me on a drip. And it was from there that we realised that I had quite high blood pressure. So they started monitoring that from week 12 and then at week 20, they realised that it wasn't settling at all. So I was kind of going up to hospital twice a week to see the doctors. And then at week 24, I was admitted into hospital until I had the baby, which happened at week 28. And had you suffered with high blood pressure prior to the pregnancy? No, so that was the mad thing. Up on, Like I never had blood pressure issues at all and it wasn't a history of blood pressure in my family. And um, then just from week 12, because I was obviously seeing my doctor and my consultants up until that point, um, we it just got noted on week 12 and it just steadily increased week on week. And um, how are you so feeling? That's the mad thing is with preeclampsia, you feel completely fine. I've never had any symptoms of high blood pressure. So it was kind of a hard pill to swallow in the sense of when you feel really well to be admitted into hospital on bed rest, that was a really tough tough to get your head around. Yeah, so you did four weeks just lying in hospital, staring at the ceiling almost. But then uh, Ruby gets delivered at 28 weeks. What went yeah. through your mind when you realised you she was going to have to be delivered so early? To be honest, it was only, I think, at, at week 24 when I was brought in, I just kind of went along with it. And I remember just one Sunday being up in hospital and I actually had a panic attack because I started looking up images of um, 
babies that were in the neonatal premature oh. babies and I just it didn't dawn on me that like it was actually going to happen I think I was kind of in a bit of um just not really thinking about it and then then it dawned on me that this was going to happen and I remember the um some doctors from the neonatal came up to us to have a a talk with us myself and my partner Stephen just to let us know what to expect when we went down there um at the time it was too busy they couldn't what they usually do with families is bring them down just so they have an idea of what the place looks like and how it works before the baby's born but the the neo is actually very busy so the um consultants just came up to have a chat with us and kind of geared us up that the baby was coming and that we were going to be down there and it was kind of going to happen sooner rather than later so at that point, every day was a bonus that she was inside. I know. And then uh, yeah. this tiny little baby, what what did she weigh in at? She weighed 920 grams, which oh. is just under two pounds. Yeah. Oh, the tiniest little thing. How long did then did she have to spend in the neonatal unit? So she had 11 weeks down there. Um, yeah, so she was in intensive care. I was actually just reading over my notes. Uh, like I kept a little diary for her. She was in intensive care for five weeks and then... Anybody who knows the neonatal there, you know that like there's a progression. So you go from intensive care and then there's wall A, wall B, wall C, wall D. And when you get to wall D, that means you're on the home stretch. So <laughs> it took us a while to get to wall B. Was that, was that, a, and the, the, it, Ruby was your first child? Yeah, my first, yeah. Was that a very difficult time, those 11 weeks? Yeah, it was, it, it was obviously it was, but we knew no difference. So that was just our journey and what we had gone through. I think it would have been much harder if that was my second pregnancy and I had a completely normal birth um, up before that. But the fact that she was our first, we didn't know any difference. Yeah, that's a good point. So we just that's, that's a good, that is a good it. point. Yeah. And uh, four years later, how is she now? She is fantastic. <laughs> she <laughs> rules the house and is the boss of us all. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So then pregnancy number two comes along. Now, do you yeah. instantly start to worry about, oh, am I going to have these blood pressure issues? Um, yeah, so my blood pressure never settles after Ruby. I went uh-huh. into the pregnancy with high blood pressure. So it's very uncommon that your blood pressure doesn't settle after um, preeclampsia. But unfortunately, I was one of the ones that it didn't. So that's why it took us so long to go again, because I wasn't sure if I was able to go through it. But um, I had a brilliant consultant, Morita Weirden, and we had pre-pregnancy meetings with her. So before I ever got pregnant, um, we wanted to find out what the likelihood of it happening again would be. And Mairead reassured me that she was fairly confident she'd get me past the 32 weeks. So I was kind of happy with that because I knew after 32 weeks, like the chances of too much going wrong were really slimmed down compared to a 28-weeker. So, um, so the, yeah, goal, the goal was 32 weeks. The goal was always 32 so, weeks. So you get pregnant and then what, you're constantly being monitored, is it? Yeah, so from week six, um, I was up with Mairead every week. Um, she was just, she was amazing, I have to say. She just, she reassured me and she knew I was self-employed as well. So she knew that it wasn't realistic to sign me off. And, you know, she was practical about our lifestyle and the fact that we had another baby at home. So she wanted to keep me out of hospitals for as long as she could as well. And she so did. 
She did, in fairness to her. Yeah, she did amazing. So, so you got to what? You, you admitted, I think it was at 31 weeks I read, was it? 31 weeks and yeah, I had him at 33 weeks. 33, okay. And yeah. about, uh, was it a bouncing baby boy or what size was Adam? So uh, Adam was double her size. So oh. he was three pounds, 12 ounces when he was born. Now, he did have to go into the neonatal unit. Yeah, so he was in hospital for three weeks. He was one week in the intensive care and two weeks on um, AWOL, which is just not, it's not intensive care, AWOL. So. so was it very different? Was the experience with Adam very different to Ruby? Yeah, it was a whole other ball game. To be honest, um, with Adam, I think I was just, I didn't ask many questions about what was going to happen because I was like, whatever's going to be, will be. So I was really shocked when we did go down to the neonatal because Ruby had eye checks and she had heart scans and brain scans every every week or so. Um, but with Adam, when they get past 32 weeks, all of that is eliminated. So um, it was literally just a matter of him breathing on his own and then just feeding. And luckily, he took to the feeding really, really well. So we were home within three weeks. So we brought home a 36-week-old baby. Great. But of course, yeah. you, had the, you had the added complication in that you were in the hospital and Ruby was at home and that must have been difficult. Yeah, yeah that was kind of the hardest part because... What happened was I just went up to Maraid for a normal um, appointment. Now, I knew myself I wasn't feeling 100%, but um, Maraid, my blood pressure was sky high the day I went in to see her and she just said that we're going to admit you now. So I just never got to go home or to explain it to her or, yeah. And we're talking, are we talking pandemic time? No, so um, Ruby was before the pandemic and then Adam was, it was just like everything kind of had relaxed. When oh, thank, like, God. Was, yeah, thank, yeah, God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. So they still weren't, only Stephen was allowed up to the room to meet. So when Ruby came to visit, I had to go down to the um, uh, reception area to see them. She wasn't allowed up. But you were able to see her and she was yeah, able to was see you, which was, yeah. And, yeah. and how is Adam doing now? Adam is thriving. He's just <laughs> eating us out of house and home already. <laughs> A proper little boy. He's great. And Ruby is the great big sister, is she? She's amazing. Yeah, I think she was so happy that we were both home after the five weeks that she just took to it like a duck to water. She's been incredible in fairness to her. And she was that bit older as well. I think she kind of understood a bit more than maybe if she was two or three. So we'll watch you. Which of the which of the episodes are you in or do you know at this stage? Um, as, as far as I know, I'm in the last one. It's starting next Tuesday for four weeks. So yeah. we're... Our story, I think, is on the last week That's of it. September, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's Tuesday, the, the, the 26th. And yeah. and they they did you mind the cameras? What did that feel like? I mean, I, I'm assuming you're constantly being interviewed. Yeah, so to be honest, um, when they asked me to do it, um, Peter Phelan was Ruby's consultant and he came up to have a chat with me before we agreed to anything. And he just said, it'd be a very interesting point of view because you've been here before and you know what to expect when you go down. And obviously I was a bit further on as well. So they knew that like the chances of complications were going to be lessened. So, and it's, to be honest, when you feel okay as well, it's quite boring in hospital, just looking at the four walls. And <laughs> it was nice to have somebody to chat to. And bit for distraction. <laughs> it was really, to be honest. And it's lovely that um, CUMH is a teaching hospital because you always have the doctors in the um, doctors that are learning so they're just chatting as well which is lovely but um, yeah so it's kind of just something to pass the day and it was I think I would have loved to have seen something like that when I was expecting Ruby just to know what to expect so 
and the fact that they're usually done in the rotunda and stuff, it's nice for Cork people or Munster people to see the NICU in Cork and if they are heading down there, what to expect. Yeah, I think that's the real important part of this uh, programme and anyone that I've ever interviewed, uh, Siobhan, whose who's little one have end, has ended up going through the NICU, all talk about the incredible staff, the professionalism, yeah. the care and it's a world that most of us thankfully will never get to see yeah. but for those that do unfortunately have to get to see it I think it will be great I, th- I, I think you know yeah. it, it, it won't be as scary a place because no, I think it's just I, it sounds yeah. scary It sounds much scarier and some days are incredibly scary down there but I just like the credit to the, the nurses and the doctors down there they know it's the nurses especially just know when you're having a bad day and know when to pull you out of it and they just ask you the right questions to get your head out of yourself and just chat about other things that you're not focusing solely on. Maybe just one flyaway comment a doctor made, but because you don't understand everything that's going on, you can cling to something that somebody might have just said in passing. But the nurses just know. They know what to do. Like I can't. They're just amazing. They're angels on earth. Well done. Honest. Well said. Well, and do you do you chat and bond with other parents, Siobhan? Is yeah, that, yeah, you really do. Like because we're all in it together. And there's um, for some mums that um, are feeding the babies themselves. There's a pumping room, and the amount of tears I'd say that pumping room has seen because you cry with other mums and you cry for yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, listen, you're, you're, you're so brave and, and I think to all of the parents who agreed to take part, it's, it's going to be an incredible programme. I really am uh, looking forward to it. And listen, best of luck to you, Dad Stephen, and to your two incredible uh, little babies. I've seen photographs of them and they're <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. They're, thank they're, you so they're much. a credit yeah. to you. Siobhan, listen, no, thank, thank you. Th- thank thanks you. a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you so much, Patricia. Really appreciate it. Bye bye, bye bye. Isn't she lovely? That is Siobhan Forrest. And that programme starts next week, Born Too Soon. First episode is Tuesday, the 5th of September on Virgin Media at 9pm. Next four Tuesdays, which as Siobhan says, she will feature her story on the last Tuesday, the 26th of September. We were talking about health insurance earlier on and how expensive uh, health insurance is going to be in the coming year unless we all do something about it and start to shop around. Well, that prompted Richard in Mallow uh, to contact us to say he's just got his car insurance in. Anybody else noticed an increase in car insurance? He said last year his car insurance was €321 and he was expecting the premium to be pretty much the same. Nothing's happened. He hasn't had any claims. He's driving the very same car. He's doing the same amount of driving. So everything is as is for Richard. Lo and behold, the premium has arrived in. It's an extra €140. That's a big, big jump, isn't it? Um, he, um, He said he phoned them and they said, sorry, that's that's a, you know that's the offer we can't you know he, was, he rang to say can you reduce it in any way and they said no so he said he's going to have to pay it unless he shops around well I think Richard you've already you've already answered your own problem start shopping around because if you shop around you, you certainly should get it uh, cheaper particularly if absolutely nothing has changed now maybe all the insurance premiums are going up slightly but that seems like a big big that's almost not quite 50% but 40% of an increase 
If my maths calculations is right, that seems a big, big jump. I would say shop around and also let us know, Richard, how you get on. Anybody else notice that? Car, your car insurance premium. And of course, in order to drive a car, you have to have car insurance. There's no way out of it unless you give up your car. 0818103103. Remember, I read out uh, another email from one of the good residents on Bridge Street in Mallow who's complaining about the humming noise and the jackhammer that was going on till 2am in the morning and one listener spoke about the cups and saucers on the table rattling because of the vibrations. Well, Mary doesn't have a lot of sympathy for the good people of Bridge Street in Mallow. And she says, would the people of Bridge Street ever stop giving out those men who are doing that work? They're doing it in order that we can have a flow of traffic during the day. What about the heavy traffic in that area? Surely that must bother them if they chose to live in that area. My suggestion, says Mary, is tell them to get a good pair of headphones. Well, there's vibrations. It's not just noise, uh, Mary, but she has little or no uh, sympathy. And someone else is making the same point. That work needs to be done. That road down by Bridge Street in Mallow, the surface was uh, atrocious. Good to see them doing the work at night rather than doing it during the day and stopping the flow of uh, traffic. So not everybody having sympathy for the people of Bridge Street. 0818 Noreen has been on. Remember we I said we had a couple of calls in earlier from people who were talking about a really nasty smell in Clonakilty yesterday. People were saying it was sewerage and somebody was saying like it literally hung over the town for the entire day yesterday with people saying it's coming from the bay. Noreen said the smell in Clonakilty last Wednesday where she was at the model railway village uh, she said it was appalling. It, it, she agrees that it was like raw sewerage. It was absolutely disgusting. She also points out that it happens quite often. The council really need to check this out. And she said it's not the smell of seaweed. Do you know, sometimes you get that awful smell of the when, the, when a lot of seaweed comes in or that sea lettuce. Remember that? Sea, God, we haven't talk, spoke about that sea lettuce in quite some time. When that sea lettuce comes in and then when it dries, the smell is just, it, it kind of does smell like sewerage, but it's not that. Noreen said this is definitely definitely raw uh, sewerage and I know John Paul is on to the council to try to find out what is the cause of that smell so if we get anything back on that uh, we'll bring it to you and then uh, a listener is no name on this is bothered about the new school in Drumahan well not really bothered about the new school in Drumahan but is wondering what, now the planning has been granted for the new school this sister is wondering have the school also got planning permission to expand school parking substantially both for the teachers and for the parents who drop off their children. Listener says the area in front of the Drumaha National School is not adequate at present and it'll be stretched to the limits once the new building is completed. At certain times during the day, and I'm assuming it is drop off and pick up, there can be chaos in the area. Listener is fearful. It's only a matter of time before a disaster could happen. The school should be able to utilise the parking at the church across the road unless they have plans for a car park on the school grounds once the old school building has been demolished and, and I, I don't know. I mean, you need to get on to the school themselves and I, I assume they are aware that there is an issue with parking but and doesn't it happen outside all schools with drop-off and uh, pick-up because so many children now get dropped to school and collected. And I know even yesterday when in the afternoon I collect Marsha from the Gilbert Centre where she uh, attends her day uh, service and completely forgot 
that the schools were out. I had such a luxury during the summer collecting her. <laughs> when the schools are out, I have no problem at all. I can get across town in five, six, seven minutes at most. Uh, I headed off uh, yesterday and it took me the bones of 25 minutes to drive what is normally a five, six minute uh, journey. And it just, I, I, I end up having to pass about four schools. I, I clash with four schools. And some of the days it just happens to be that everyone is coming out at the same time and there's so many people driving along to pick up their children. Why don't we have a proper bus service where children go to and from school by bus? And that's just me because I just get keep getting caught in the traffic and it's so frustrating because you're watching the clock ticking now the gang at the Gilbert Centre are great and I arrived you know oh sorry school traffic school traffic I just have to start leaving earlier that's all <laughs> but yeah but it's it's an ongoing problem at every school I don't think there's any school unless they have a massively large car park outside which schools when they're designed they're not designed to have big car parks just for drop off and pick up Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. did you see hear that piece with Barry on the news and actually I was reading about it before I came on air today and this is to do with dodgy boxes. Uh, what's a dodgy box? I hear you cry. It's they're, they're the illegal TV streaming services and there will be lots of people listening to this programme who will have a dodgy box whether they will care to admit it or not. But now there's been a wave of legal warnings and they seemingly have been delivered in person by post and by email to people across the country who are involved in providing the illegal access to the premium TV content. Now it's not the households who are using the dodgy boxes who they're going after now is the providers of these illegal TV streaming uh, services. Cease and desist notices have been uh, given out to the people running the service to stop immediately all illegal streaming or they can face the consequences. Now they're targeting a number of counties to begin with and one of the counties they've targeted is us here in Cork. The legal notices they form part of a broader targeted campaign in Ireland which is designed to try to disrupt and shut down what are technically uh, piracy networks and the first wave of warnings were issued in March of this year and a number of illegal streaming services were taken down with legal proceedings brought against uh, individuals and it's the Federation Against Copyright Theft. They've been working with broadcasters and law enforcement to try to clamp down on these illegal uh, providers. Uh, Customers who pay for these pirate services should also know that you could be funding very serious organised crime which I suppose isn't something you think about when you just want to get the extra TV channels without having to pay the full subscription uh, for it and it's not just here in Ireland, it's been happening uh, across the UK. For example back in May there was five people sentenced to a total of 30 years in prison. This has been taken really serious in the UK and that was for their part in running three illegal streaming uh, services. That case in the UK, though, that was brought by the Premier League and supported by Sky and others. And um, I know also to try to tackle all of this piracy, the Premier League actually were granted new enhanced blocking order here in Ireland, while Sky were granted a similar order. And that's designed to protect their sport and entertainment content uh, in the UK. And listen, I can fully understand why people... Uh, sign up for these uh, dodgy boxes because it can it can give you anything up to 4,000 different uh, channels and you get it at a fraction of the price. See me, some, what happens in some cases, and I, and I don't know because I don't have one, but it, seemingly you buy the Android box and then some of these services charge 
12 euro a month for the codes and then the codes allow people to watch the paid protected TV it can be sport it can be movie and it can be up to 4,000 uh, channels so they're going after the people who are uh, providing it but I know in our household we pay an absolute fortune for the different streaming services um, and I'm fully and we're lucky we're in a position that we can afford to pay it but you're thinking with families who are really struggling with the cost of living and the cost of everything going up and if there's children in the house and they're trying to save I can understand if somebody hears about oh I know of somebody who can get you a dodgy box and you're only going to be paying uh, 12 euro as opposed to paying maybe 120 euro a month I can understand why people go down that route but anyway a big brother i.e. the Premier League and the likes of Sky are starting to clamp down because they are the ones that are are losing a huge, huge uh, amount of money. I was trying to look to get um, figures on it and I know there was a report out from the EU that looked at um, the amount of of these dodgy boxes that are across the whole of the EU because it isn't just something that's here in Ireland. But when they did a survey, and this was back before the pandemic, it was in 2019, the EU report found that Ireland, we have the sixth highest use of dodgy TV boxes in the EU. And the figure came out the report measured and it's very hard to get an accurate figure but they reckoned it stood somewhere at 171,000 households which works out at 5.1% of the population using this uh, survey. I would have thought that that figure would even have been higher. Anyway, they're going after, at the moment they're going after the people who provide it. Will they eventually go knocking on people's doors? I don't know and I couldn't find any indication that they're going to go down that route. They're going instead trying to get these different services shut down. A number of calls and texts in about school traffic and we're back into school traffic uh, again how quickly we reverted back to it Hi Patricia those school drop-offs are sickening they're very frustrating could they not stagger the times that the different schools have drop-off and collection yeah, but then what would they do for the parents who've got to collect from different schools anyway also this texter says could they not go back to online teaching like they did during the pandemic should the technology is so good now the children would actually think they're in the classroom petrol and diesel is too expensive to be waiting in traffic as you did yesterday doing a 25 minute drive on something that should only take five minutes Tom in Rathgormick says they need to reinforce the yellow lines outside the school in Rathgormick as everyone is parking there it's all also preventing the flow of traffic through the village. Also, many that are double parked may not even be going to the school. So it's hampering other parents dropping off and collecting children from the school. Something needs to be done about it. And Mary and Mallow, when I suggested could more children not walk to school, says I wouldn't let my children walk to school in today's world. I'd rather make sure they're at the school gates uh, safely. Thank you for that, Mary. 0818 103 103. Now, earlier I mentioned that we had an email in from a listener in Butterford who was complaining about the fact that when uh, they regularly travel on the Limerick bus, there is no bus shelter for the bus that collects people in Butterfant going to Limerick. But right across the road, the bus that collects people in Butterfant to go to Cork, there is a bus shelter. And this system was saying people, if it's raining, people from the Limerick side are running over across the road to take shelter from the rain and they're trying to keep an eye out for the bus and then they have to run back across the road again and a listener felt it was an accident waiting to uh, happen. Well, local councillor Liam uh, Madden uh, was listening to us and he's contacted us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Liam. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Liam, do you, you know well about this issue and you've been campaigning for it. Yeah, I, I suppose, Patricia, I've been campaigning, I suppose, since um, 2021. 
um, and even maybe before it. I suppose in 2021, um, at, at um, a Mallow Talk um, meeting, we were, at the time, grant funding had been approved by the NTA for bus shelters and accessible bus stop programme that was like for wheelchair and things like that. And at the time, um, I have it in front of me here, there was two in Charles and two in Bushment and one in Mallow. And um, I suppose when, when they were delivered, as, as people know at this stage, the, the, the Cork one was delivered, but uh, the Limerick one was not delivered. And obviously when, when we made the inquiries at subsequent meetings, we're told that um, there weren't sufficient people travelling on that bus. Oh. And when I when I queried when were the surveys done, the surveys were done during COVID. Ah, for God's sake. So after that, I suppose, you know, with further inquiries, and I suppose the big thing here is it, it's the NTA are involved here and, and County Council are, are in, in the centre then. And and that to say it's coordinated through County Council. Um, I suppose in further inquiries then, they said there was cables there and there was cables to be moved and things like that. And, and we, we suggested maybe a different type shelter. And that hasn't happened. And I, I suppose I have been, and I suppose more so since, since the, 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 the child accidents down there. And I suppose before that was, it's an accident waiting to happen. It's a Bush. busy road. It's a busy yeah. road, uh, Liam. Okay, just to, just to uh, speak a little bit about it. It isn't, it isn't up to bus air, and I thought it was up to bus air, and you're saying it's no, the council it's and the, the NTA. It's the NTA, yeah. So who provides the funding? Is it the council or the NTA? The NTA. Okay, yeah. so they, so did they give you the funding for the two Bottom and two Charleville and one well, in Mallow? I suppose grant funding had been approved. That was the that was the that was the email we got. At so the it time. isn't a money issue then. No, and 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 that that is the other thing is that we we have questioned as well. Like it, it's not a money, and and I suppose it, it, it is an issue along the, the whole way as well because look, they have been granted for Ratdoff now as well. There's no shelters there. There's none in Tuggle House yet. But the big problem I have with, with bus stops and bus shelters is that day one, all these surveys need to be done. If you're having a bus stop, you have to have a bus shelter. As I always say, it, if you're out in Spain, there's bus shelters everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So every, every, any country you go to, any, yeah. there'll be a bus a shelter. Yeah. And well, I think in this country, more than anything, we need yeah. bus shelters because of our weather. Yeah, but like all the surveys should be done then. And if a stop is suitable for the bus stop, and it's suitable for the bus shelter. The program should be initiated then. And and like in in that bus stop in Butman now going to Limerick, there is a special need kids use that going to St Joseph's. Yeah, it's going to secondary school. And I suppose with the Ukrainian population in Butman as well. It's that's huge. a good point. That's yeah. That's that's a good point. It's, and they wouldn't have been there yeah, uh, during no. during COVID. A very important thing there now as well. What has happened? The rural link buses have all improved and. There's rural link buses now coming from the Scal and other places, and they're coming into Bushment and they're connecting into that bus. So there's people that out in the Scal and Churchstown areas before that that couldn't get in now have a rural link that can bring them to the express bus, but unfortunately no shelter. You know, yeah, it's just it's really in this day and age, uh, Liam. It's, it's 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 very frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I suppose the. I, I have tried to, um, and I think we we need to hear is if 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 if, if Cork County Council and, and and the NTA we we 
we all need to sit down at one table. And, and that is one thing I've failed to do so far is to get the NTA as well in, 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 into uh, discussion because that needs to be done. Um, I suppose there, in other cases, there, is, there is companies that will sponsor bus shelters. Yeah, and, and they can put their uh, advertising up on it. And, and that, that doesn't seem to be allowed at present. And, oh. and you know, it, 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 it's another way out of it. But it, it's obviously, it's not a funding. Um, and and the, 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 big, the big thing here is if, if an accident happens in Butterman, we will have action. Well, that's too that's yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. If there's a bus stopping there, then there must be people using it. There For them is, to come back is. and say, yeah. oh, you know, there isn't enough people using it. Well, why have you got a bus on if there isn't enough people yeah. using it? Well, that's I mean, the, the, if, if they did um, a survey, the, the survey was done at the wrong time, yeah, uh, yeah. which it was. And, yeah, and, and, and it would be and, very, yeah. very different, very different during COVID times to what it is today. OK, keep us updated on that, Liam. And just while I have you on, I don't know if you're yeah. aware of uh, the, the emails we're getting in from people in Bridge Street in Mallow about the work that's going on overnight. And yeah. pe- uh, what, are you aware, you're aware of it, obviously? Yeah, I, I, I suppose, look, the, the, the works are going, I think, up to the 2nd of September. And, and, and look, I, I've been hearing there in all morning, I suppose, where unfortunately it, it seems the work has gone on later than expected, uh, you know, late into the night and so forth. Um, but I and, and I suppose it's unfortunate if people haven't been notified about that. But but the huge thing down there is look, we, we have had major, major problems with, with that skit, stretch of road. And, and and if anyone drives down Mallow Park now or drives down and see the surface that's there, the improvement. And it's the incredible. It's incre- it incredible. Just, and, and, and it couldn't, you know, and I, while I have sympathy for anyone who's trying to sleep yeah. and there's a kangaroo hammer outside your window, I do have sympathy. Yeah. But you couldn't do that work during the day because you can't close off that street during the no, day. I, so, but, but I think, I do think the point, certainly on any of the emails we received, it was the lack of warning. I think, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think, look, I, I suppose that, that it's like, I think that, um, uh, Warden worked there, worked in town in Mallow and they worked at night and I think that was one thing that they, they did do with residents. Um, I don't know why why it wasn't done here or whether it was done in some form, I'm not sure but but they, they, they notified people and they went around to and, and to, to let to, people know so you yeah, can make exactly. the decision if you wanted to yeah. move, move out for a few days but it's going yeah. on until the 2nd and then it'll be done, that's this weekend. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Alright, yeah. right, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Alright, listen Liam, I appreciate that. No, 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 Thank well, you for thanks that. For thanks for joining us. Again, okay, thank good you. morning to you. Um, um, uh, bye bye. That is uh, local councillor Liam Madden. 0818 103 103. We are looking for your pet questions, please, uh, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, is going to be joining us. So if any of the animals in your house are feeling a little bit unwell at the moment, now is the time to uh, contact us. Uh, 0818 103 103. Tomorrow Friday, our Hours to Protect series continues at uh, 11.45. And this week, our Hours to Protect, we're going to be uh, talking about deposit and return companies tackling single-use packaging within the hospital Sector. And I think this is something we're going to be hearing a lot more about because we're going to have deposit and return on a lot of plastic bottles that's coming in, I think, from next year. So we'll look at that in more detail in our Hours to Protect series tomorrow here on C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. It is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group where Jane Pickett uh, joins us. Morning to you, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. You're very welcome. Actually, somebody yesterday, after last week after your squeaky door, uh, somebody texted in very quickly saying, tell Jane she needs to get oil for that door. <laughs> it was oh, just, they're not wrong. It's it was, a very squeaky door. It was, and it was just happened to be busy uh, last week when we were doing our slot with Jane. OK, let's get straight into questions. Tom wants to know, is it normal for a five-month-old puppy to have a loose stool? Hmm. It can be. Um, at five months of age, I suppose I'd be thinking, well, what's changed? Has there been a dietary change? So I suppose the most common things that would happen, I suppose, in young puppies would be dietary change as they move, let's say, away from their mums onto solid food, obviously a lot earlier than that, but then onto a puppy food. And sometimes they may have a transition a little bit later, around three or four months, onto kind of a junior food, a junior life stage. So it may be worth asking yourself, well, have I changed their diet recently? Has the, the sign of the loose stool started or, or been in tandem with either a new diet or potentially even something like treats that you started giving it. So dietary is really, really common in these guys. So the second most common thing would be parasites. So sometimes that can give them looser stool. So I'd make sure they're up to date with their regular worming. Now, our puppies will need worming a lot more frequently than our older adult pets. So the good rule of thumb is they will need to be wormed every two weeks until they're 12 weeks of age. And then every month, until they're six months of age and thereafter then you can kind of treat them like an adult so every three months will be the standard recommendation for the average pet but every every environment or or every kind of um lifestyle of a pet is different so it's worth having a chat with your vet about what they feel suits you but that's a good good rule of thumb so make sure you're up to date with your worming other than that they can have i suppose imbalances in their gut microbiome so the kind of the bugs and the the bacteria that make up their gut are are still kind of developing at that stage they're still learning um, and they're still adapting and a lot of that can be affected by diet so sometimes they may just have a little bit of an upset tummy and need a probiotic Um, but if it's something that's consistent if they've got runny stool and it's been happening for more than a day or two these little guys, you know, they're not the most resilient. They're young, young, young little dogs. They're the, the equivalent of, I suppose, a small toddler, essentially. Yeah, it's like, it's so like it's children not... and the way children can pick up bugs and stuff. And, exactly. Yeah. They can. So I think it's it's always best to err on the side of caution. It's, as long as they're otherwise lively and well and happy, as long as it's only a slightly soft stool for a few days, you're probably OK to monitor it. But if they seem in any way unwell in themselves or if it's lasting longer than two or three days, you do really need to see a vet. And it might just be a simple thing of chatting through the history with them. They may be able to point out a kind of a more obvious trigger or it might be that they might even need to do some diagnostics. So sometimes there's rarer causes of loose stool in puppies and in adult dogs. And we might need to take things like poo samples and send those to the lab. So there are kind of pathways to diagnosis that you can go down but it's important just to act on it if it's been lasting for more than a few days. Okay, uh, here's uh, actually two different questions in about stray cats. The first one is from Mary. A stray cat came into us. He's living with us now about a year but I've noticed He's grooming himself a lot and in the last few days he seems to be sleeping a lot during the day but when I leave him out at night he's then disappearing all night and doesn't come back until the following morning. What's going on? Mm. Uh, Is he off having Um, fun? (laughs) He may well be off just having fun. I suppose around this time of year we are getting a slight change. We can all feel it in the air. Autumn is kind of coming. Um, The daylight daylight hours may begin to start to shift from now on. So it is a case that, you know, the patterns that cats who are outside, particularly with access to the outdoors and hunting, you know, they're really usually quite active sometimes at night or at dawn and dusk. Um, So it may just be that the the change, the gentle change in the beginning of the seasons has begun to take effect and has changed his behaviour ever so slightly. The licking that you're seeing, 
it may just be part of normal grooming. Um, I think if it's excessive, if you feel he's always at it, then it would trigger a visit to the vet to say, well, is my pet licking because they're itchy or irritated at their skin? Um, and I suppose all the basics, just make sure they're up to date with their usual flea prevention. Simple, the common things are common, as it were. Um, but sometimes it may just be standard grooming. You may just be seeing him inside a little bit more doing it. But as for being out all night, I would suspect he's probably out having a great time. It's probably the most likely thing. As long as he seems otherwise well in himself, he's probably just getting home. And during the day, his his 24 hour clock is just a little bit off and he's just sleep, sleeping through the day. But what I will say is just keep an eye on his eating habits and his drinking habits and his otherwise, let's say, demeanour when he's awake. Does he seem happy in himself? Does he seem like when he's awake and he's up and about, is he as lively as his usual self? Is he eating and drinking normally? If the answer to all of those things is yes, then I would suspect he's probably just out and about having a lovely time doing some hunting of an evening. But if any of those things are not the same, if his demeanour doesn't seem quite the same or his appetite's not the same or his drinking habits aren't the same, then that would trigger me to think, well, is this sleeping during the day? Is that lethargy? Is that something a little bit more sinister? So do we need to get a vet involved? Okay, but, um, I think just And of course, the fact it's a stray, it's hard to know what age the cat is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's lovely when a stray, I suppose, wanders in sometimes. Um, sometimes they can really ingrain themselves in our family they kind of choose us to a degree um, but I suppose they do come with that kind of unknown quantity to them we don't know what their history is we don't know their age they don't know if, we don't know if they have any previous health issues so it is a little bit difficult to predict so caution is good if you're in if you're in doubt and he's handleable have a chat to your vet Okay Jennifer has taken on a stray cat uh, moved in about uh, two weeks ago it's an adult female cat but Jennifer said how does she work out if it's neutered or not? Oh unfortunately largely impossible uh, without attending your vet and even then it's a big challenge um, I'd say it's, it's definitely a really good thing to try and check out um, because obviously we want to make sure that as many cats as possible are spayed so that we can you know, avoid adding kittens and unwanted pets to the, the large population of, of feral cats that are out there um, so it is really good to take that step what I would suggest as a first port of call would be um, maybe bring them to your vet. Um, it may be a case that we might be able to find a scar from a previous neutering operation. So sometimes, depending on, on where your vet does the operation, sometimes that'll be on the belly, on the very underneath, kind of on the, the belly floof. Sometimes it'll be on the side. Um, your vet may be able to to feel that, but to be honest with you, it might require a small haircut to see it um, because cats are very, very good at healing and these things don't tend to, they don't tend to leave bumpy scars as it were. It tends to be quite a subtle thing that we might just be able to see. So it might require your pet being shaved a little bit on their belly at the two sites where these procedures might happen sometimes. Um, that said, that's not a foolproof way of doing it either. Um, if we see a scar, then we're pretty sure there's been an operation there and it's most likely going to be neutering. It's not 100% guarantee. But if we don't see a scar, there's no real way of knowing except for going down the route of undertaking a spay operation. And if there's a uterus there to be removed and ovaries there to be removed to spay the cat, then great, that could go ahead. But if we get in there, have a good look around and there's no ovaries and no uterus, it's quite likely that and it's ha- going to take ha- place before. Have you done that before? Have you opened up a cat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite a common and, and thing. And you know, Jennifer I... is right to be thinking down that route mm-hmm. because a female adult cat, you don't want to end up with a household of kittens. Absolutely. I think it's like it's really, really, really responsible. So it is um, to be thinking down that way. So really well done for, for, you know, 
thinking about that it is definitely something to act on but i'm afraid it's not the simplest solution in the world but look yeah. there is always the option of chatting to your vet going down the route of a spay and you know if there's a, a spay there to be done it can be done and if not we know for certain that the, the cat's already okay. been spayed so I, there, I, are, I there think, are ways to do i think from her text she thought there was some blood tests that could be done to to, to work out but uh, unfortunately wish there, that wish that there was yeah it, it, there, there are some hormonal tests that you can do, but to be totally honest, sometimes they're not the most reliable. Sometimes the timing is very important. It's not the simplest thing, I'm afraid. Yeah. It is an avenue, but it might be a slightly more um, financially expensive avenue than going down the spay route. So have a chat with your vet about it. OK, and then staying on cats, somebody's cat is a 10 year old cat recently diagnosed with the diabetes. She's gone on a special diet, but she's continuing to lose weight. And then recently she's refusing to come into the house, acting very strong. Strangely, indeed, I'm really worried about her as she is a 10 year old cat. Oh, bless her. OK, I'm so sorry to hear she's been diagnosed. Um, it can be a very worrying thing when our older pet gets diagnosed with quite, I suppose, a, a longer term chronic disease. And diabetes is, is a very challenging one. Dietary management is really, really important and it is the cornerstone of management in cats. But it may be, I suppose, not knowing the full details of your situation, it may be that your cat might need other medications, so they may need um, they may need injections um, or medication to try and control that blood sugar level. Dietary management may not be enough. So if they're not feeling well in themselves on just dietary management, then I really would advise bringing it up with your vet again. And I think that's the thing. As vets, we don't know if these things are working when your pet is at home. We wish we could, um, you know, see how things are going and ring you up and ask, but sometimes we can't. So it's really important if your pet is doing well, brilliant. But if your pet's not doing well on the prescribed treatments, we really appreciate it as vets when you call us and let us know that things are not quite working out. So don't be afraid to, to flag it up. I'm sure there'll be other avenues to explore, but without a little bit further detail on, on the background of your of your pet, it's difficult to say exactly what, but I'm, I'm sure it is worth flagging it again um, and there will be a way forward. Okay, seem to be all about cats today. We leave it there. Thanks mm. for that, Jane. Have a lovely week and we'll talk next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you for sure. joining us. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. Uh, it is, of course, part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary Group. Some of your calls in. Jim in Clonakilty was on these. This is adding on to the calls that we received about the smell in uh, Clonakilty this week. Jim describes this as diabolical. He said the whole town is swamped with the smell. He agrees with other callers that it is a smell of raw sewage. He thinks it could be the sewage system is backing up somewhere. It's like the system can't deal with the increase in population in Clonakilty town. The sewage system was built for an old Clonakilty. The town has tripled in size uh, since during June in the warm weather. Jim said in their house they had to close the windows the smell was so bad and I suppose you also add to this time of the year we're still in holiday season so you're going to have holiday makers which obviously boosts the population number in Clonakilty during the uh, summer summer months to say we're on to the council to see if we can find out exactly what is going on we haven't heard anything back yet and it's unlikely now we'll get anything back before the close of the programme so hopefully maybe by tomorrow we might have something uh, back and then John O'Donovan in the city was on he heard me talk about the dodgy box, the TVs and the people who are taking the doing piracy and how some people can have up to 4,000 channels. What would you do with 4,000 channels? John reckons that we're all too spoiled today when it comes to our television choices, either on mainstream TV or all of the different streaming services. He said because of that, people are never happy. He said, think back, those of you that can, to the day when there was one channel. We had RTE and nothing else. He said people were much 
more appreciative of what was on TV in those days. Years ago, he's, he remembers when it was the final episode of The Fugitive, if people remember that programme, The Fugitive, there was a long final episode and during the break for news, there was a surge in the national grid because people rushed off. Everybody rushed off at the same time to put the kettle on. Now he says, says John, you can't get people to sit in front of a television for half an hour. People are simply too spoiled. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're with you for the final one of the week tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.